Welcome to the 50th episode of Money Trees. This is a very special episode. You know, we've made it to 50. 50 incredible guests sharing their stories, their art, their energy with us. The garden is growing, and it's a beautiful sight. I would like to introduce today's guest. He is a Billboard Music Change agent, a Rolling Stone Future 25 honoree, a manager, founder, creative that lives on the bleeding edge of technology, yet still centers the spirituality. The leader of Create, which most of you will be using in the next two years, and just an all-around very dope human. Dauda Leonard is here. How are you feeling today, D? Man, I'm feeling blessed. Blessed and grateful. And grateful. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, there's there's so much, so much we can talk about, you know, from you and the create team taking the industry by storm with the record deal simulator to doing a six million dollar NFT drop with Grimes, to how Create is looking at content in the metaverse. All very interesting topics. But information on all of those is readily available. When you look at your resume, it's impressive to me to see the level of work you've put in. You know, Money Trees is all about planting seeds, so I'd like us to go back to the roots. Is it true in 1997 you were the only kid on Northeastern's campus with Busta Rhymes' album When Disaster Strikes? <laughs> um, I think that that is a fact, maybe. Uh, like... Unless, like, for for that to for there to have been other people with Busta Rhymes, when Disaster Strikes album, um, during the first two weeks of school, I would say it would be very hard uh, to prove that someone else had it other than me. Uh, I feel like in New York, I grew up in Bed Stuy, and. There was this spot downtown, I'm blinking on the name, downtown Brooklyn, that would sell albums like a week, two, or three, maybe weeks in advance from when um, an album was supposed to come out. And probably like, like, I think it was like two or three weeks before it was supposed to come out, I was able to buy it. And then I went up to Boston to go to school. Um and it was kind of it was interesting because it it was it was a it was a you know moment that taught me how music is is a is like a, a I, I wrote about this and I think that's where you got this from so is it like this form of like you know social currency that you know creates bonds between people creates memories um, and it was almost like I was you know able to use that album to create relationships when I got to Northeastern one of my you know, best friends, Karim. Um, I think I met him at the African American Studies Center. And I was like, yo, I got this, I got the new Busta Rhymes. And he was like, oh, snap. And he came back to my dorm room and we was just like bugging out listening to it. Um, because then, you know, that's how people shared music, right? Like other than you like dubbing a tape for your friend, um, you know, that's how you were able to listen to music that you didn't own in a group setting. Yo. That's pretty ill. And it's wild you saying the story about being able to buy the albums early because that's probably not something most New Yorkers can relate to. Just like when you're walking down the street. And I remember the the bootleggers used to always come in the barbershop and they'd have the DVDs and the albums. I never got anything early, I'll say that. I wasn't seeing that. The only thing I ever bought early in New York 
was an advanced copy of Call of Duty, which blew my mind that the mom and pop shop let me buy it earlier. But I digress. You mentioned on how that was one of the main ways for sharing music and then how I probably got that from an article that you wrote. Spoiler alert, I did. <laughs> it was a great article. It was a great read. In that same article, your, your rejection of Napster when it first came on the scene, you, it was like you didn't understand the value at first, right? So it was easy for you to dismiss it. No, to me, I'm gonna, I, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me let me change that. My, my, my rejection of Napster was more so because I had access to like, – like I was one of those kids – who who was online very early and you know uh because of AOL and Prodigy and CompuServe and by the time I got to Northeastern and during right before Napster was created I had access to a T1 line and I got into the dark web and if you were on the dark web and you were using things like MIRC um which was like a way to like access different servers through, you know, commit different commands, you were just able to discover all kinds, you know, you had access to way more than what was just like on Napster. What was on Napster was people, it was just people, what was on someone else's computer. It wasn't like the wealth of, you know, the, what the deep web had to offer. So that's Ooh, kind of Okay. Like, okay. No, I missed that. I missed that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking at it. I'm like, it was surprising to me. Um, but that makes a lot more sense because when you said Prodigy, CompuServe, T1 line, I was like, okay, I got to go brush up on my <laughs> late 90s internet devices. Um, but at first, where I was going with it, it was that but, okay, <laughs> it makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. dismissive. Not, what were you going to say? What are you going to say? What are you... I, I think that it, it was a strikingly similar thought that I have right now that I feel like a lot of industry people feel about the blockchain. Where it's like, oh, we already have this other thing over here. So why would we want to go and mess with this new thing that you guys are uh, building or working on or talking about? Like, yo, it's a scam or what? any of the number of platitudes that we hear. Where is the yeah, industry I, I, I wrong in their agree. perception? I, like, I don't know if it's wrong or just like... When, you know, when it comes to adopting new technologies or um, new platforms, products, that it's always going to be like a, a like an adoption curve. And I think that you know my sort of rejection of Napster is similar to how I also rejected MySpace. Um, you know, I, I always thought like, why would you, why would you like set up a page? on someone else's space and then call it your space. Why don't you just like register a name, a DN, you know, a, a web site name and set up a website. But I think because I was uh, doing web development in their, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, I think that I was, I was, I was not recognizing how hard it potentially is to build a website until things like WordPress or Squarespace and things came along. Um, whereas when you think about it, like MySpace just allowed anyone to set up, you know, online and create their, their space essentially. And so my rejection of Napster was similar in that I was just like, why would you use Napster when you could just be like, on the deep web, the dark, and it's like, oh wait, 
not everybody knows how to do that. And I think like it's the similar thing with like blockchain today, maybe with a lot of people, they're saying like, why would you use now that technology is so ubiquitous in terms of how it's a part of our life? Most people are saying, well, why would you use these primitive technology, this primitive technology when you already have Spotify, when you already have Apple, when you already have, you know, Twitter, when you have all these different, you know, products and platforms that really work very simple and seamless. And now with blockchain, it's like, there's a lot, there's a huge learning curve. And I think that like, people are saying it because they don't want to do the work. And they are also saying it because they are feeling that same way. Like, why would you go backwards? I definitely get that. It's like when you're deeply involved in a space, sometimes you can take the education barrier to entry for granted. And thinking about what you said with a lot of our traditional platforms, especially when it comes to music, they do work rather seamlessly and they're great for the consumer. To me, I feel like where people get it wrong is that it's not where the space is now, but what you can build on top of this. And when I was going back and reading some of your articles, I realized that your mission at Create is one you felt strongly about for years prior to the advent of the blockchain. Well, not only said, well, this is post-Bitcoin from what I saw, but prior to like the revolution that we've seen over the last two, three years, it even predates the ICO uh, era. When did you start to realize that there was something fundamentally wrong with metadata and the, I guess we can say the accounting of it in the industry? Um, well, a quick, another quick correction. The company is CreateSafe and our platform is CreateOS. And I, this, I love, you know, Kufu, you love to say create and I love it. Um, but I sometimes want to make sure that anyone who's listening doesn't confuse us with Create Music Group. Um, but we're all fam. I love those guys. Um, and so it, it starts in the, in the first iteration of what, you know, we are as a company create safe, right? Like that, that, that name alludes to, um, having a, 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 a place to store your music assets, um, a, a place to store your creative assets and, you know, where that, where that came from was, um, let's say, I would say like in, probably in like 2014, 15-ish, maybe even a little bit earlier than that, I was always thinking about like how could, you know, as a manager, as a publisher also at the time, how could I manage all of this information, right? We have, we have all these different creatives that we're working with. Uh, specifically producers who are making, you know, a lot of different music and how can we properly manage the, those assets, right? The, 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 the actual files, the, 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 the information about those files, when those files actually become more than just files on your Dropbox and they become records or songs for other people, um, tracking that information. I started to think a lot about that because it was just like, as, as the, as the person in the business end for these creatives, my job and my team's job is to manage that information. Um, so we could effectively monetize it, um, and leverage it for, you know, uh, new opportunities for those creatives. 
And um, the first thing that we, I was actually thinking about was like a CRM, you know, as a, as a manager, one of my good friends, uh, DA Wallach, we would, we would talk about, you know, how can we manage the, at least our relationships a lot, you know, more efficiently. Um, and he used to, he used to actually reach out to like um, Salesforce and was trying to convince them to make a music business product. Um, and there was this product I'm blanking on the name. It was something with an R that they had created, uh, that they had eventually bought and then they just absorbed it into their company. But it was like a really slick version of a CRM, you know, Salesforce can be very complicated. But, um, at the time I started playing around with that, like contact, contact management and basically, you know, from through like 2013 through 20. 16, my buddy DA was working at Spotify. He was helping to launch um, Spotify in the U.S. Um, and he built the, the Spotify Artists in Residence program and the whole like artist and manager, ser- you know, uh, creator services programs. And um, we would talk a lot about like different changes in tech, you know, innovation and he started writing about Bitcoin and blockchain and how it could change the music industry and how like there's this digital media layer cake that if you had like more interoperable um, IP catalogs, you know, the consumer ends up like not only does the creator end up, you know, being remunerated um, in a more fair way, but the consumer has a really awesome experience. And it wasn't until 2015 where like the, you know, my career sort of like, there was like a pinnacle moment, like streaming came into, you know, full existence, right? It was like the moment where Apple Music launches, Spotify becomes the dominant way in which people are listening to music. And now all of the success, uh, you know, leading up until then really started to kick in in terms of like the different producers and writers and artists that I was working with from like DJ Snake to Skrillex um, to, um, you know, people like 1985 and Super Dupes and Elangelo, all these producers were producing or putting out their own records. And, you know, it was like anywhere from like Drake to The Weeknd, Lady Gaga, Kanye West, like all these records were like popping off. And when you think about like, well, what does the value of that, especially as a producer, like when you do a producer deal, you're normally getting like three to 5% on the low end. Um, oh shit, DJ Dahi. Um, um, we, we normally, uh, he, he's listening in. Uh, we normally get, uh, a producer normally gets like three to 5% um, on the low end. Some of them can command like 12 you know, percent royalties uh, for artists they produce for. And what generally happens is the accounting statements for a producer look even crazier than what an artist looks like when they're signed to a record label. Like you start trying to understand like, well, if I got all these streams, what does that amount to for not only for the artists, but also these producers that worked on these projects? Um, And so 2015 through 2017, I was really like, you know, trying to figure it out, like as an independent manager, publisher, A&R, 
like I started asking these questions. I started asking friends questions, like one of our partners, John Tanners. And um, around 2017, I was like, okay, you know, now is the time that like someone in the music industry, you know, con- or, you know, still working in the industry should be building these new tools. Like, I think that record labels and publishers should be investing in this way. And like, you know, right now, some of the, the majors, they invest in these products, they invest in some of these platforms, but they're not actually, in, you know, developing technology in-house. Although you, you um, some of them to a certain degree have. Um, but um, I was like, well, what if managers started building these types of products? And um, that's when we thought about like catalog management. We were like, well, what, 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 what would it mean if you could manage all the metadata associated with a, a record or a song and you could have like that information in one place and from that you would be able to um, not only create more leverage when you're doing your next deals, like when you're negotiating for like a producer to produce for an artist or you're as an art, you know, an artist manager, you're trying to negotiate a deal with a brand or a record label, you could be like, hey, this is the value of like the art that I make, which is essentially like sort of your brand. So this is what I'm worth. And that's kind of how, you know, Create Safe was born. And um, yeah. So I think y'all are addressing, and I've said this numerous times, but I think y'all are addressing a massive, massive opportunity, I'll say, in the industry. Understanding rights and how that ties into ownership, how that ties into your deals, how that ties into the actual value of this art and content that you're creating is paramount to establishing a career that's reflective of the actual value that you're generating. But these are complex ideas. We talked about earlier how when you're in it, even as managers, we can understand kind of the nuances of a deal and we can look at accounting statements and royalty statements and see where there's missed opportunities or see you know, when percentages aren't the way that they need to be. How do we go about providing proper education on the artist side? Um, well, I think like that's where we're, you know, I think like w- one part of what we're doing from a product standpoint is um, creating like the operative tools, um, you know, where you can like store this information, you know, model out, you know, your profits or your revenue. Um, but then a- another part of it is like the actual sort of like a learning piece of it. And like, I think the record deal simulator and the publishing simulator are two great examples of that, which is like when you're using those tools, there's all these like, you know, little tiny tool tips that that teach you about, well, what is it? Like you can click on the toggle, you know, button that allows you to choose a record, de- you know, a royalty deal, a distribution deal or a net profit deal. And then there's a tool tip that tells you about what those deals are. Um, and so every part of the record deal simulator and publishing simulator has those tool tips. Um, And I think the way in which we designed it was from the perspective of being creatives and and wanting to know, like, like, you know, I've made records. So, like, I have my own publishing statements, not let let alone the producers and and writers and artists that I've worked with. So I like at a certain point in time, I got to feel what it feels like to be on the other side of trying to understand this information. So that's how like our product decisions, you know, were made. 
Um, so when I see those tools specifically, they, you know, I think they work because it's almost like a video game um, where you get to play around with your business, but you also get to learn and skill up while you're playing around with your business. Um, and I think like some of the new tools that we are going to begin to roll out, like one of them is what we're calling um, rights visualizer, which is going to sort of like complete, it's sort of like what I think about that completes the, the, the holy trinity of understanding your music business. Um, you know, once you learn about your, how, how record royalties and streaming works, and you learn about how publishing royalties and streaming work, then the next thing is like, well, what are your rights? What are your rights and how do they work? And once you have all three, you can know, you, you can basically understand what you can do with your music business. Um, and so that all three of those will then, you know, kind of be combined into what we're calling like, you know, music IP distribution uh, for um, Web3, the metaverse. What does that actually look like where you're able to like create a smart contract, put in your rights, name your own prices, and then distribute that music to not only Web2 platforms, but also Web3 marketplaces, gaming, you know, platforms and metaverse experiences. But the first thing you need to know before that is what are your rights and how do you use them? And that's what the what we're calling the rights visualizer um, is going to be. And we're hopefully going to, you know, uh, launch that in the next couple of weeks. As I said at the onset, We'll all be using Create very, very soon. <laughs> Outside of what you all are building, what's got you excited about the future of Web3? Well, I what I what I really am excited about Web3 or the metaverse is I think that like um if you think about like the way culture is driven today it's because of like derivative content because of UGC content, right? Like you, like TikTok is a platform that like lets anyone take someone's video content or audio content and remix it in a way that make, they make it their own. And then they up, they re-upload it. And now because that way that algorithm works, which is just like, as long as you're uploading content, your people are going to see it. Um, and then that drives value for that individual creator, but also the people that they, whose IP they've used, right? And so if you think about that, like that's what's literally driving the music business, like TikTok drives plays and discovery of music. But then if you think about that and you go like, well, what does that look like in Web3 or the metaverse? I feel like you're going to see this explosion of creativity. Like we're in, we're in an interesting Renaissance moment right now where like um, people are finally able to monetize their ideas, which effectively are digital assets now, right? Like we, we use computers and phones um, to, you know, even like other hardware devices plugged into your computers and phones to create things, whether that's, painting, whether that's uh, making songs, whether that's uh, even creating like sculptures that end up becoming three, you know, 
make you know print it into the in, into into real world like through 3d printing um so the fact that you are now able to then take the actual idea the, which is that which is technically the metadata mint a smart contract which is what people call an nft and now sell that and you can you know sell it in a variety of different ways through these platforms and and then potentially add your rights to that like as we move into the, the future of that you're going to see this opportunity that like creators never had before to you know uh collaborate and co-create with one another and and make money together like we, we it, it, you know what we call it is that the age of multiplayer creativity i think like pre-web3 it was a uh a, a single player uh video game right like uh, like, we, like if you were to think about like video games like fortnite and league of legends these are some of the popular games right but they're they, like the reason why they're so awesome is because it's multiplayer all, you know massive online multiplayer games um and the music industry to a certain degree how it's been controlled has always felt like a single player game um and uh now with, with the way web3 and the metaverse is 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 being built it's going to now be a multiplayer game and you're going to be able to collaborate in new ways um and i think like when i see projects like jadu um who have created like you know accessories for the metaverse like jetpacks and, and hoverboards and they can interoperate with you know amoebits or a cyberkongs or all these different projects that like are voxel um style characters and then you can like you can like fly around on your hoverboard um you know you and then film that in an ar way and so it's like like pokemon they they're essentially building a pokemon go style world using all of the different web3 projects that exist i think to myself well, what does that look like in music what does that look like in film what does that look like in television um and that's really you know that's that that's super exciting um i hear that there's a you know i really like play to earn i think that there's like um you know this uh sometimes there is i've 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 seen a lot of knocks on play to earn in that um people say like it's like an extractive economy um but i'm like well play to earn is what we've always been doing like you know if you go to a restaurant like a waiter is uh hoping you know is is serving you hoping that they're going to get tips like that's the game that they're playing um and so like we've always been in this you know type of play to earn economy but now you've put that into like the game the new gaming world and that's allowing different people in countries around the world to make a new living uh you know doing something that's fun and i think that you know people are going to continue to innovate in the play to earn economy you know i've already seen things like learn to earn like being like you know it's like a new way to think about like scholarships and that's what even play to earn is like they call it in the play to earn world whether it's axie in what axie infinity ygg they call it scholars um and so when you think about like the opportunity that learn to earn has and you apply that to other you know creative industries i think that you're going to see the concept of the apprenticeship 
really coming back into play because um, it gives creators the ability to um, not be so closed off from collaborating with other people. Like imagine, you know, as a uh, artist, a producer, you can, you know, create a learn to earn economy around your production business where you're inviting people in to learn how to do what you do um, and earn with you. Um, and so I think those are some of the things that I think are the most exciting about Web3 and the metaverse. Man, it is hard to not be bullish on the space when you hear some of that stuff that's on the horizon. Uh, I love I love the way you associate the gamification with a lot of the you know IRL cases, or we'll say the physical world and things that go on in the digital world. I feel like it's the same game, just a different name. You know, D, this For has sure. been really ill chopping with you. I love hearing about Create. It was really <laughs> funny seeing the story. Um, but I didn't know you went to Northeastern either. It was like just some of your backstory that I was unfamiliar with, and I got to get familiar with while preparing for this 50th episode you've come on the show oh no what's up what's up i like i i, I like how you, you drop the get familiar that's a i guess an ode to my the beginnings of my career working with clinton sparks um and the mixtape culture i think mixtape culture also is I'll, I'll throw this last thing in there is an exciting thing that's that's growing within web three like you know snoop dogg just is about to release a new mixtape on sound and he's collaborating with all of the you know web three music artists and if you think about two of them are money trees alums sorry keep going (laughs) but think about like what's dope is that like it's like snoop is like i know people buy what i'm doing right now and now he's about to like he's about to show the power of like rap crews and rap collectives um, and like that mixtape culture of the past where you would like put on a new artist. Um, and so that's really, and, and, and this is a different type of putting on, like there's a financial put on, right? It's like, he's exposing these artists to his, you know, networking audience, but he, but he's doing that and help it. And they and they get to monetize with him. And that's incredible. Yeah. So get familiar what Snoop is doing. with the mixtape oh. culture. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's going to be really exciting to see mixes and just more interesting use cases for music NFTs in the space. I've said it numerous times on here. I'm not the uh, biggest fan of the current state of the space, but I do think that people are trying to push boundaries and find ways to connect with the fan and consumer more and make it a more enjoyable experience. So thinking about mixtape and also like, DJ and crate digging culture and seeing how that can be applied to something with scarcity like NFTs becomes pretty interesting. I'm here so, for it. So D, everybody on the show, before they get out of here, answers two questions. The first question is going to be, what is your seed phrase? And now I know, in crypto, your seed phrase is normally your account recovery key. I just don't think that that is a good term for something that requires a level of security like your account recovery key. So on Money Trees, we're repurposing seed phrase to be a saying, a quote, a slogan, a motto, a lyric that you live by that embodies your approach to your art, to your career, to your craft. Dauda Leonard, what is your seed phrase? The open eye is the great mind. That is a bar.
<laughs> and my second question is we are going to have the one of one money trees number 50 note go on sale after this episode what are we going to list it at hmm well first of all we should put the open eyes the great mind on the note if possible um there's a lot of uh hidden uh cipher and code to that bar um and it does belong on a note um whoa 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 did he just change the entire alpha money trees yo i, I knew this is gonna be a special episode that's such a fire fucking idea i just put it in the metadata i need yeah. to put it on the note after the episode yeah let's go um, wow now that's gas i would say um man um I would like it to be 0.421. Last year, I minted one of my first NFTs that ended up selling for 0.421. Um, that's my birthday, this Thursday, uh, April 21st. Um, but maybe 0.4 is pretty high. Um, no, it's, it, let's, let's rock with it. This is a, these are staples. These are seeds. I will grow money trees into such a beautiful garden and people will listen back on these episodes. And it was funny, like you mentioned this new thing and I chimed in where uh, Maroof and so Black Dave is, we had him scheduled from before the Snoop announcement and Maroof, same thing. And I'm like, yo, this is really going to be an ill garden when people go back and look at the collection of the founders, the artists, and just the humans that have come on here and again, shared their energy. I appreciate you coming on. 0.421 will be a steal, whether somebody gets it in a week or five years from now when Create OS <laughs> is what we know it will be. So, so yeah, let's rock with that. Yo, happy early birthday. I hope you enjoy. You. It will be blessed as well. Uh, what what uh, state are you going to be in for your birthday? Not like Los Angeles. spiritual state location. <laughs> Los uh, California. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Enjoy that. Weather should be good. And yeah, man, thank you again for coming through. Yeah, thanks for having me. Peace. Peace.